This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We heal through connection, reducing isolation, judgment, and having supportive people to go along with us on our journey of healing. Our society and culture perpetuates standards of masculinity, what it means to be male through norms of encouraging male power, dominance, and privilege, while discouraging and disapproving the expression of emotions for males. These stigmas and beliefs perpetuate, delay, and prevent males from talking about seeking and engaging in treatment for mental illness. By sharing his life events and personal journey to address and manage his mental illness, Clint is working on helping to break down the stigma of males talking about mental health and seeking treatment options. Valeria interviews Clint Edwards, the author of Anxiously Ever After, an honest memoir on mental illness, strained relationships, and embracing the struggle. Clint Edwards is a celebrated author of Fatherish, Silence is a Scary Sound, and I'm Sorry, Love, Your Husband. He writes the column Screen Time, hosted by Netflix, and is the founder of the wildly popular daddy blog, No Idea What I'm Doing. His stories have been featured on the New York Times, The Washington Post, People, Red Book, Good Morning America, and The Today Show. He lives in Lebanon, Oregon, with his wife and three children. Meet Clint at Instagram.com backslash No Idea Daddy blog. Here is the interview with Clint Edwards. In your own words, who is Clint Edwards? Well, uh, I am a husband and father of three, and uh, I've been uh, blogging for a number of years. I have a relatively successful blog uh, titled No Idea What I'm Doing, a daddy blog, um, with a little over half a million followers. Um, I write a a column for Netflix uh, on their fandom site called Screen Time, where I write about, um, you know, watching movies with my kids and the the joy of it. Um, I published... Uh, this is my fourth book that's just coming out now called Anxiously Ever After. And um, uh, along with writing about parenting, I also write quite a bit about mental health and, and uh, my struggles with anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. How did you become a writer, Clint? I got the writing bug uh, in my 20s. Um, I, I didn't know how to type when I finished high school. Um, I barely graduated and, and my wife actually taught me how to type. Um, and so I didn't think I was very good at writing. I was always in remedial English and all that sort of stuff growing up. And, um, I eventually had to take, uh, a writing class and, uh, they, the first assignment was a personal essay and I was really scared to write it. And, uh, it, and they said, you know, write a, you know, something funny if, if that works. And so I ended up writing about, 
uh, me having anxiety in my PE class and pooping my pants. Um, and my uh, English teacher just thought it was brilliant. And uh, and that was kind of it. I thought, man, that was the most fun I've ever mm-hmm. had. And uh, I've been writing ever since. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's it's taken a lot of different forms. You know, I eventually studied writing, got a master's in writing. And then um, when I couldn't, this book that's that I just released, uh, when I couldn't publish it, that's when I turned to blogging as a way to kind of get my work out there. And that uh, has gone on to be successful. So it's been kind of a twisty, turny uh, sort of path to get there. Speaking of getting there, what is your goal with the work you do? Do you have one? Oh, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with goals because, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is kind of anxiety. Uh, you, <laughs> For sure. you always you, set the, you, you meet the yeah. goal and then you're like, well, that wasn't as cool as I thought it would be. And so then you set another. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think at this point, I would, I would love, uh, I like that I'm helping people. Um, I like getting messages, not only from parents and particularly fathers that are like, oh, this really helped me be a better father, but also, you know, people that have, are struggling with mental illness. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I find it really rewarding when somebody messages me and says, Hey, you know, I, I decided to try therapy, you know, or, um, I'm, you know, they start taking those first steps to, to be, to live a healthier, more balanced life. And, um, I like that. I take a lot of pride in that. And I think it's one of those things that's really unique and cool about writing online and writing right now. Um, Because, you know, I mean, I started this blog of mine from, you know, I started at the McDonald's Play Place um, at like five o'clock in the morning because it was the only place that was open and had free internet and I could get away from my kids. Um, And so I would go there and write every morning for a long time. And it's kind of wild that I live in this rural little Oregon town and I got people from all over the world, you know, now messaging me and saying, hey, you know, your writing helped me. Um, and that's that's really cool. So as far as goals, I hope to continue to write. I hope to continue to help people. And, uh, you know, I guess if I make a little money on the way, that's cool, too. That sounds wonderful to me. It's almost like reaching the goal but without setting one, but being there um, just by default in a way. It's funny when I ask, I usually ask the question about the purpose of life on this podcast, and I get a lot of um, the same answers uh, in different ways, but the same answers that is to help others. Oh, sure. Isn't that interesting? Do you have uh, the same ideas about the purpose of life, the purpose of the human experience? I mean, I like like to help other people. um, And I, you know, I mean, I I know that one of my... And I cover this a lot in my book. Is I didn't have a great relationship with my own father. He, and that's part of the reason I titled my blog "No Idea What I'm Doing," um, because that's how I felt going into being a dad. And and but uh, ironically, you know, it seems like a lot of people with really great dads still feel that way. So um, it didn't. I guess it's a universal feeling. But um, you know, I have my primary reason right now is I just want to invest in my family. I want to give my kids what I didn't have. And in a lot of ways, what I've started to realize is that, you know, I'm getting that family relationship that I longed for as a kid. I'm just kind of on the other side of the equation now. And that's, um, but it's still, you know, it's still really good. I guess another open question that I have for you is before we talk more about your book is mental health. What is 
to be mentally healthy? What comes to mind when you hear this question? Um, I mean, I guess it's taken a lot of different, um, uh, I guess it's, it's taken a lot of different shapes for me over the years, but I guess what I've come to realize, um, is that if I want to be that father that I just described and that husband that I'm, that I'm longing for, um, there has to be enough of me available to do that. And if I don't do the hard work of mental health management, um, I can't be there for my family the way that I need to and the way that I want to. And so um, it's become very important for me to, and you know, I kind of, I put it down to like three things that three buckets that I need to fill in order to stay mentally well. And that is uh, therapy, you know, regular therapy, you know, when I need it. Um, uh, I also need to do like lifestyle changes. So, you know, regular exercise, you know, schedule, uh, change, you know, meditation, positive, uh, self-talk, that sort of stuff. And then medication. I, I'm a big believer in taking my meds and, and taking them when I need to take them. And, um, that tends to, as long as I, I manage those three things. I tend to live a really normal life. At least I think. I hope. You know, my family <laughs> yeah. might think differently, but um, that's 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 uh, those that tends to help me f- be more balanced. So it feels different to you because the responses of the people around you, of your family, or this is something that you're self-aware that there is self-awareness about it. Uh, I mean, I would say I think it's both. I mean, I think. I'm aware that my life is better. I, I think my family life is better because of it. You know, it's funny. I was just talking with my son um, yesterday and we about the same conversation about how um, learning to understand that, that your actions affect the people around you and being self-conscious about that and being aware that, you know, if you make, and, and we use the example of my dad, you know, my dad, fell into a drug addiction and went out of jail. And those decisions definitely affected the family around him. And um, though, and that's what, you know, you have to think to yourself, how is what I'm doing going to affect me, but how's it going to affect the people that I love? Um, anyways, it, it was, it was one of those good father song moments. I yeah. <laughs> I love that. Another open question for you. It's about masculinity. How do you define masculinity these days? Oh, I don't know. That's, I mean, I don't know if I really spend a lot of time defining it. Um, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I, I mean, I think, um, I know that one of the things that has, I guess, caused, I don't know if it set me apart or caused me to be able to, um, uh, find a kind of a corner on the internet is that I, I see myself, I see myself as like an egalitarian. I, I see relationships as, um, you know, it's a, two, it's a, it's a partnership, uh, a full partnership. And I think, um, but I, it's interesting because I don't see myself as like a particularly masculine person. Um, although I do have, you know, masculine and feminine qualities. I think we all do. Um, but, uh, I think that it's important to be, you know, open and, and, um, reflective. I think that's one of the, uh, I think a lot of men miss that. And I think that it's been one of the best things that I can do for myself and my family is to really sit down and reflect on moments, reflect on myself. Um, and that's one of the things I get out of writing, um, and blogging is to really sit down and dig into a moment or why did this happen? 
you don't have any, um, let's say, fixed ideas of what masculinity is, which I actually love that open answer. <laughs> I don't. I think, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's important to be uh, present and in a partnership more than it is to focus on, on you know, being masculine. Yes, present. And with that, do you mean what we talked earlier about being self-aware of yourself and others? There is more into being present, Clint. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's good to be, well, and when I say present, I mean to really be there with your family and really be there with the people that you're around. And and I struggle with this as much as anybody, particularly with online distractions and that sort of stuff. Um, and then, you know, mental illness can make you feel apart from yourself, um, make you worry about what might happen rather than what's actually happening. And I fight that battle a lot. Um, but trying to be present in the moment and saying, okay, this is a good moment and soak it up and enjoy it um, is, is very important. You mentioned medication earlier, therapy, exercise, of course, are having a healthy lifestyle to um, manage mental health. And then uh, meditation, medication. That's interesting because I used to think that we all could kind of heal ourselves naturally without medications from conventional medicine. So from your perspective, this is something that you actually have tried to kind of manage mental health without medication. Did you try that or it's something that you never thought about it and you just kind of mix it's a combination of both natural and conventional medicine. Well, so, and, you know, going back to my book, I, I was first diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder in my late teens. And around then I was given medication and I started to, uh, I started to mimic my father um, who was, you know, going to doctors like drug dealers. Um, and I, I never got to the level that he was, but I did start to abuse my medications to some point. And then when he died, um, uh, after, you know, 10 years of, of battling, uh, his addictions, um, I was really shook and, and I stopped taking pretty much everything. Um, and I saw doctors and I saw medications as, uh, me going down the same path that he was. And, and I lived like that for close to 10 years. Um, and eventually it became too much. And, and I almost lost my marriage because I could not, um, live with the, you know, the mental illness I was struggling with. And that's when I went back on medication and, and started living a more balanced life. Um, I'm a big advocate of taking medication. Um, where needed, and of course, under the hands of a doctor. I mean, I tell everybody, you know, when I get mes messages, um, you know, people will come to me for advice and even around medication stuff. And I'll tell them, I'm not a doctor. I'm just some dude on the internet. <laughs> um, so keep that in mind. But um, I know for me personally, um, I, I have done it without medication and, and it almost, it, it became too much to bear. Were you um, engaging in... Um Practices like meditation, going to therapy, exercise, eating healthy at that time that you're off medication or not? I would say that it was a mix of those things as I, as I progressed. But uh, 
yeah, I, like I said, I, I, I think you, you take, if you have uh, heart disease, you take medication. If you have, uh, you know, high blood pressure, if you have uh, uh, an illness, uh, you, you take medication and, and it makes a difference. And uh, I am this, I feel the same way about uh, mental illness. It is, it is an illness and, and it can be treated uh, to some extent with, with medication. And I agree. It's not for everyone. The idea of natural healing and doing everything naturally, prevention and all that, I absolutely agree. Yes, it, it depends. Do you have any spiritual belief systems or ideas, practices, meditation being one from my perspective? I mean, I'm a religious person, you know. I, I uh, you know, as far as spiritual, I mean, I, I believe in God. I, I you know, I... I pray and and do all that, and I know that feeling that there is a higher power um, has definitely helped me through some really really hard situations. And um, but you know, I also like I said, medit- I meditate every day, um, and I uh, I try and I try this with my kids too to really um, pull away from you know trying to lean into gratitude, trying to find optimism. Like it's it's not. Um, you know, I have a daughter with ADHD, and um, I was explaining this to my wife once that we were talking about how her default state is being distracted, like it's not focus. And so she has to make conscious decisions to find focus, and that's some of the things that we're working on. And that's the way it is with me and anxiety, like fear and being worried is my natural state. And so I have to make conscious decisions to pull myself out of it. Um, And so um, really thinking about that, pausing and pulling away and saying, I'm, I'm not scared because something bad is going to happen um, or that there's something wrong in my life. I'm scared because anxiety is there and that's just my default setting. Um, And that sort of self-talk has helped me to be able to live, you know, a more balanced life. At this time, what do you feel is the world's greatest need? Oh, is the world? Well, I, I, I think the world has many, many needs. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do think that um, at least as we are coming, trying to claw our way out of a pandemic, I think uh, mental illness and mental health management is is of a huge need right now. And I think there are a lot of people that are really struggling. Um, and, you know, the, for the last year, I mean, I, I, they were calling it a mental health tsunami is what's coming along. Um, I think uh, ther- we, need, we need to learn how to manage our emotions better. Um, and, and this is not me saying that I am uh, the best at it. Uh, but I am saying that it is a process that we as a society need to open up ourselves to and be able to learn how to live with our, our own, uh, anxiety. And we need to normalize anxiety and depression, um, so that, uh, you know, people can learn to live, uh, with it rather than trying to deny it or fight Mm. it. So you wrote the book titled Anxiously Ever After. An honest memoir on mental health, strained relationships, and embracing the struggle. We have been talking about the book already within the topic of anxiety and relationships, trauma. 
What was the main intention of writing this book, Clint? Well, what is the intention? Well, I mean, I know, I, you know I've been working on this book for, it's been almost 13 years. Um, and it's taken a number of different forms. Originally, I wanted it to be more of a commentary on fatherhood and abandonment and that sort of stuff. And then eventually it kind of started to focus more on um you know, the opioid epidemic. Um, and I always tried to make it funny, you know. Uh, so these are like heavy topics, but I tried to find some levity. Um, and it wasn't until, uh, you know, the around 2020 and I was uh, living in the middle, you know, we were all on quarantine that I started to think, you know, maybe I could make this about learning to live with my mental illness. And by then I'd started to accept more of my mental illness and and being able to better understand what I was living with and and better understand uh, you know my parents and their mental illness um, and uh, so ultimately the book you know if it's a goal I I hope it's I hope it's somewhat of a a map of how at least I learned to accept my mental illness and um, how to you know live and and ultimately like you know, towards the end is to kind of forgive my father, forgive my parents, um, and how much forgiveness takes a part in um, learning to live with, with mental illness. The question that comes to me is, what do you think causes or caused this stigma around mental health? Why do we have this so heavily in our society? I mean, I think, you know, if you have uh it's hard to measure mental illness um and so this kind of being trapped in your own head it's not like you can hook yourself up to a heart you know a mental health monitor or something and it's like okay clearly there's something going on um and i think that's and and it's also you know some people live with it some people don't um and i think there's also kind of a a feeling in our society to be strong mm, um, and yeah. that's something that we take pride in is being strong yeah. um, and uh, mental illness can feel like a weakness but I, I think it's it's often casted as that but I think some of the strongest people I know are people that get up every morning uh, even when they're depressed or even when they've they're fighting anxiety and and keep put their shoes on and, and take a step forward um, that's that is uh, a real picture of strength, in, in my opinion. There is this very heavy stigma around mental health, but not other illnesses, just mental health. I keep wondering, asking questions, why, why, why? I'm wondering if this is something also that we, we all relate to. We all know that the mind's unstable, that uh, thoughts, they come and go, that we can be happy now, we can be sad in the next moment or depressed or whatever it is. So we are very much aware of how the mind is so vulnerable. And maybe that reminds us when we see other people going through struggling with their own minds. And then that reminds us that we are on the same boat or could be. And that kind of reminds me also the topic of death. It seems like we're all afraid. We, we don't want to talk about death because we all know that Eventually, ultimately, that's the destination in that sense for the body. So, yeah. Any comments, Clint, on that? I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't fear or think too much about death. Um, I do know that, uh, my fa- my father's death, uh, really pushed me in different directions and in a lot of ways pulled me out of some of the, the most extreme of my, uh, OCD, um, watching the way he died. Uh, but it, you know, ultimately I, I wish I, I'd never had to live through it. So. Yeah, no, yes, and I'm sorry about that. I've never been through, I never lost anybody around me, uh, but my husband has, and I can feel his pain to a certain degree, of course. Do you consider grief to be sometimes a catalyst for mental illness? I mean, I'm sure it can be. Um, I know there are people that, that get locked in grief and never are able to get out of it. I mean, I know I, uh, you know, I, I, I think my father had been dead a couple of years before I finally cried over his death. And it wasn't that I cried because he died. I cried because I knew now he could never turn his life around and be what I always knew he could have been or what I longed for him to be. Um, and that was what, I really mourned um, because, you know, there was a 10 year period there where he was pretty unpredictable, you know, in and out of jail. And, uh, but I know that after his death, I cleaned out his apartment and it was, it was pretty easy to see how he died and, you know, lots of body fluid and different stuff. And, and it was, it was, it was, you know, it was one of those things that I think people often pay for professionals to do. And, and my brothers and I, we just kind of handled it. And, uh, what ultimately happened is I, and I guess it's just my brain trying to process it. I started having these terrible nightmares, um, where he was dying and I was either watching him and I couldn't do anything or I was him and I was watching him die like through my, through his eyes. And, and that was when I really felt like there was some, either him or some higher power trying to tell me that I needed to do something different in my life and I needed to, or I was going to end up where he was. Um, and that ultimately pushed me in other directions, um, to be able to kind of pull, pull away from the way I was living. Thank you for saying that, for sharing that, the higher power, because that's what it is. It's always, it's very benevolent. It's always trying to teach us those powerful lessons to love of basically to love ourselves first before we can love others as well. I love that you're doing that. You're very conscientious and aware of taking care of yourself because this is the only way you can help your family by starting with you. So that's another beautiful message that you're passing on to us, Clint, today. To me, at least, you're really very much saying that. So we're almost at the end. I want to mention there's a section in your book that caught my attention where you say, I felt like my family was on top of me all the time and finding somewhere to sit and chat about my mental health seemed impossible. So I hid in the closet, the lights low of all of it, feeling like I was doing something nutty or hiding from a murderer. So that caught my attention, this feeling of trying to hide what's happening because there's no one around us that will that understands us, that we can open up to, that we can trust. So with that in mind, the question for you is, do you often engage, I know you mentioned earlier about having a conversation with your son, do you often 
engage or try to kind of insight, initiate conversations around feelings with your children? Well, I mean, the context around that particular passage is uh, I started meeting with a therapist and it was online and I was, it was during quarantine and I needed to find a place to be able to speak openly with my therapist. But, um, you know, my family was always home, you know, it's a family of five and, and, uh, and it was hard to, to find that space. Um, and you know, I don't, I mean, usually you don't necessarily want your family in on your therapy meetings. Um, but, (laughs) But I will say, um, I try to be very open with my kids and open with my family about what we're feeling, um, or at least what I'm feeling. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges, particularly as I've gotten into teenage years, is trying to get them to be open with me about what they're feeling. Um, and that is a skill that, that I'm still trying to teach and, and foster in my kids. And, and it has been um, quite a slog. What comes to me a lot of time is trust, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, because children can, they will trust us if we are showing them that we are that message. We're not just saying something, but we are we are living that truth. So they tend to trust like anybody else, everybody else. I, I believed all of that until I had teenagers. Um, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, you start to realize that. <laughs> That uh, any expectations or understandings or, or hope uh, oh. that you had, that for it, it all kind of goes out the window. Um, oh, no. <laughs> so that's good to hear. Yeah, not for somebody who is not a mother <laughs> and you in that position. Wow. So that's not actually an universal truth. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I would say it was, it was <laughs> until about 14 years old. And yeah. then it's like, I. Do not know what is going on right now, but I'm going to do my best. (laughs) I love your honesty. (laughs) Yes, right. I love that too. I guess it goes back to trust oneself then. (laughs) Just being open to life and and trust that we can do our best, right, Clint, in a way. Just letting go of any concepts, ideas, and trying too hard. No, no, I was just going to agree with you. (laughs) So the uh, ending questions, I'll ask you this one. What is success to you today? What does it look like? You know, I just, I hope that, you know, I'm, I I hope that my kids love me. I hope that that it's reciprocal. I hope they love me as much as I'm, I'm trying to show that I love them. Um, and I think it's if if we can if I can end this whole journey with that, well, then I think it'll be it'll be all right. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess to to fall deeply in love, um, to um, I guess you know, uh, be able to experience being a parent. I think that's, and I know that's kind of up to choice, but I think that that really changes you. Um, and I guess to feel, you know, true satisfaction, to feel like they've accomplished, uh, something uh, important. Beautifully said. And yeah, going back to the being a parent, right. For some, I'm not a, a mother and I don't think I will be in that sense biologically. Yeah. So do you feel like those who choose not to have children, we are missing something or we will learn less lessons? <laughs> I mean, I would never say that. I would say that uh, I 
was very hesitant to have children and I was very nervous to do so. Um, uh, but I can say that having children has completely changed my perspective on everything um, and on my life. And, and it has, you know, it's added as much warmth and positivity as it has, you know, uh, perpetual dread. But um, <laughs> it is, uh, I mean, it's it's been a wild ride, but some of the best moments in my life have been with my kids now. Um, and I couldn't say that. And they were, they were just very happy moments. Thank you so much, Clint, for being genuine, present <laughs> on this interview, for being you. Yeah, it's very refreshing, very beautiful. Thank you so much again for your presence in this reality. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's been my pleasure. Thank wow. you. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, I mean, I, if you... Uh, I'm on my most of my followings on Facebook and Instagram. So if you just search for no idea what I'm doing or no idea daddy blog, it will come up. Um, and, you know, if you just Google my name, Clint Edwards, my books will come up. So, you know, have the link of your Instagram account on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Clint. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Clint Edwards and his work, please visit instagram.com backslash noideadaddyblog. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.